greetings, everyone. Welcome back to a, uh, a conversation that I'm going to be having tonight with Dr. Wes Youngberg, and I'm going to just, uh, we'll turn to him in just a moment. But one of the things that we have been thinking about here in our Fallbrook, California community is the whole COVID-19 experience. And the last time that we did one of these uh, presentations was almost seven months ago. And Dr. Youngberg, um, you have, you're the founder of the Youngberg Lifestyle Medical uh, Clinic here in, in Temecula, California. You are treating COVID patients. You have been walking through this whole process, partially from your background in, in public health and the whole idea of epidemics, but also in the practical aspects of how it relates to the real world and people. And it's time for us to do an update. Just talk about what's happening now. That's right. In fact, uh, when, when we did the first updates here, Dan, um, we were very concerned because of the mathematic modeling that had been done at various institutions, uh, Los Alamos Laboratory, um, the, um, the, the various schools of public health yes. and epidemiologists were coming out with some pretty startling predictions or, or uh, uh, projections at what, what might happen. Well, startling and stark. That's right. And, uh, and so I was uh, maybe foremost among some in, um, in taking that information and making sure that the public was aware of how serious yes. this could be. Uh, and, and, of course, very quickly we got into a situation where uh, things were getting out of control. The concern was that the hospitals, because of the novelty of this, the unknown factor of what, what was going to happen once they got to the hospital, um, uh, what, what was going to work and what didn't work. And, and so the concern was that the hospitals would be overrun and, and overwhelmed and, and that e even just normal people requiring normal care, having nothing to do with COVID-19, would, would not be able to get medical care, that it would create a huge problem, a burden on the healthcare system. It was a fear factor, a big, big Huge fear, factor, fear factor, not only here, but in the world. And, uh, and that's what led the, um, the, you know, the politicians to take that information and say, we have to flatten the curve, so we're going we're gonna to lock down for a couple of weeks and, until we kind of figure out what's going on. Well, uh, unfortunately, you know, some, some seven, eight months later, uh, we've learned a lot, but the politicians are still treating this like, like we don't know anything. We're waiting for that vaccine, which may or may not be, the, be a, at least a partial answer to this problem. And, and one thing, Dr. Youngberg, I want to make sure that anybody that's viewing this understands. We're not coming at this from a political perspective. Our interest is specifically in the health and well-being of ourselves, our families, and our brothers and sisters, wherever they may be, who are maybe watching this. That's right. Uh, I, I get texts and phone calls and emails uh, every day from, from patients I work with or family members that I work with that are saying, hey, you know, my, my mother's got COVID, what do I do? Or I have COVID, what, what's the first thing that I should be doing here? So we're, we're going to try to keep this real practical to, to give a perspective of how we should be looking at this uh, from a medical scenario. And, and what we can do at home, uh, because one, one of the key issues here that we'll get into is, is understanding that there are phases to, to this illness 
And we need to understand how these phases impact our risk uh, and what we should be doing. So, so Dr. Youngberg, if we're thinking in terms of phases, that comes because we've learned a lot. And the phases are a key part. So what have we learned? Let's start with the phases. But we've learned a lot in the last eight, nine months. Absolutely. Uh, we, the hospitals and the critical care units have become much more proficient at knowing what to do and when to do it. Uh, and a lot of this has to do with a recognition of the fact that the first week or, or, or more of the illness is the viral reproduction phase where the virus is just cranking out, cranking out, and we're gradually becoming more and more inundated by this virus to the point that it, it's gotcha. Yeah. And so this is, and the second phase is an inflammatory phase in, in, where the virus is really not evolved anymore. So, so there's been studies out there looking at antiviral medications. Some of them look very promising, very effective, and other studies didn't really seem to help that much. And that's because if you give an antiviral medicine at phase two, where it's no longer a viral problem, it's, it's an inflammatory sure. problem, then you're not going to expect to see benefit. You have to, you have to treat the, uh, the viral side of this early on, or else you're not going to get that benefit. Likewise, with the anti-inflammatories, dexamethasone and other anti-inflammatory uh, scenarios, if you do that early on in the condition, there's a potential that you could actually depress the immune system further, which is already depressed, and, and, and prevent the body's ability to fight this properly. Whereas if you give it in the second phase of, of the infection, typically at the time where you need to be in the hospital because you're, you're having significant symptoms, then during that inflammatory phase, using those anti-inflammatory strategies are going to be very, very helpful. Um, but... So, so, so that's the first thing that we learned is that there's timing is very critical to this process. Phases, fa I can see that. And I didn't understand that really until about two weeks ago. And one of the reasons why is because I've had some family members in another state that actually have contracted COVID. I mean, this becomes personal. And I have friends in the Midwest that have contracted it. And almost all of them, in fact, there's about nine or ten different individuals that I know that have contracted this only one, one of my family members, who is a male, has actually struggled, and he struggled in the phase two. I didn't understand what was happening there, but now I do. I understand that that phase is important, and I think it's important for our, our viewers to understand that there's a phase to this, and you want to make sure you do the right treatments at the right time from, from this perspective. Let's make it even a little bit more personal, uh, apply it to our, our ourselves. People look at this differently. Okay, some people don't care. They don't wear a mask. They go see wherever they want to see whoever they want to see. They want to eat out, whatever. And if they get it, they get it. No big deal. Other people are masked up and have uh, shields on. They've done everything possible not to get it. And then you have that middle ground. That's probably the two ends of the bell curve. Then the middle ground that are doing kind of the best they can, but functioning along this way. And people today in, this is November the 18th, 2020. 2020 will always be remembered as the year of COVID. In fact, I was thinking Time Magazine should make COVID the man of the year this year. Okay, this is the, that's been the big thing. I mean, it's, it's had a huge impact on our world and on our nation and our lives. But personally, okay, people that you know, or if you start, okay, 
what if you get this? And so I'm thinking in terms of the person that's saying, okay, we've come this far, I've avoided it, or maybe I got it and I don't want to get it again. But the phases is important. So I guess we go back and say, we don't want to be complacent. What can you do? Because one of the situations in with my family member, Dr. Youngberg, was he was in the second phase. First phase, he was very sick with a uh, intestinal GI problem. They tested toward the end of that week, and yes, he had it. And then he went into the respiratory. And by the time it looked like he might need to go to the hospital, guess what? Hospitals were all full where they were. And so they had to work at home. And I think that that's the thing people need to be thinking about. What happens? How do I deal with this? Because we don't want to be complacent. We don't want to be overdone. We want to be smart in how we approach it. We, we, need, to, we need to know what to do at home. Uh, because, as you just pointed out, Dan, many individuals, especially in this, this, this uh, second wave, some call yes. it, other people call it just an extension of the first wave, because we flattened the curve so much initially that the curve is still, that first wave is still going, right? So flattening the curve really was about giving the hospitals time to figure out what to do and therefore decrease, uh, hopefully decrease death rates because the hospital is doing the right thing for people who were seriously sick. But but that flattening the curve had nothing to do with decreasing the total number of people infected, eventually. And you're you're still going to have just as many people infected unless you have a cure. And and we should not expect a cure for this anytime soon. Okay, The the vaccines, if they work, and there's there's some promising uh, evidence that that, that may indeed help, but there's, there's really no proof at all that they're going to solve this problem. And there are many of the vaccine manufacturers are already saying, well, we're still going to have to wear masks. We're still going to, we're still going to have to do other things because the vaccine in and of itself isn't going to be enough to solve this problem. And will it be a vaccine that's forever or will it be like the other flu vaccines we have that you got to take every year? And we still, with all those vaccines, what we, we know about yet. coronaviruses is that is that we have to basically re-immunize on a regular basis. And then, even then, uh, it, it's not a perfect science. We know that. Yeah. So, the, what, what's really important to understand is that this virus is, is really so effective that it's, it's going to go, it's going to impact everybody's life. It's going gonna, it's gonna to reach you and I. It may have already reached you and I, but we were able to fight it off because of a mm-hmm. strong immune system of what That's we've right. been promoting all right. along since since February 2020. So the, the the important thing is that we should be prudent. We should we should seek to decrease our, our the, the dose of, of virus that we get exposed to as much as reasonable. Um, uh, I don't think we should I'm not afraid of this virus personally. Uh, I am making sure that I'm making wise decisions about optimizing my immune system because if we've learned anything Dan over the last eight months, is that the most critical thing is to have a, a robust immune system. If you, ha- if you do the things that are necessary and effective for optimizing your immune system, you, ha- you essentially have no worries with this virus. Okay? There, there's, there's, even if you have other genetic mutations that increase your susceptibility to the virus because your interferon response is... Uh, we know that in people who get seriously ill, the sure. interferon response 
uh, there's a genetic mutation that impairs the ability of that to work, or the body's making antibodies against interferon, and so your immune system doesn't get turned on. But guess what? There's ways to bypass that. You can do the, the hydrotherapy, yes. the contrast hot-cold showers, that bypasses. You don't even need interferon to activate your sure. immune system if you're doing some of these simple remedies that we've talked at length about in the past. So, so be, basically, don't sit back expecting the, the government to cure this with, with you know, multiple vaccines, etc., because ultimately this virus is going to keep going. Okay, and what the only real difference is going to be how vulnerable I am or how hardy my immune system is to keep me healthy in the face of an exposure or an infection. Okay, so those are yeah. some of the things that we want to really highlight here. This is something that everybody can take advantage of. Yes. And, and uh, for, for instance, you know, we'll talk a little bit about this, is that we, we now know that vitamin D, there, there's not just theoretical basis for this like there was in, in February and March and April, but now there's been so many studies that have been published in various aspects of, of uh, getting infected or requiring hospitalization that vitamin D has, it, there's a tremendous amount of, uh, of uh, research showing that we need to optimize our vitamin D and that powerfully alters both phases of the infection. It helps decrease the viral replication. It, it, actually, it actually minimizes the ability of the spike protein of the uh, SARS-CoV-2 virus to actually infect attach. the cell, to attach and, and so infect the cell. We knew it was good, but it's really Yeah, good. and, and the, then the, the flip side of that is that it also dramatically is helpful in the second phase of the infection when the virus is no longer that active it's, it's primarily now an inflammatory response. And, and we, we actually heard people saying back some six, seven months ago, well, oh, that's why we, we probably should be using vitamin D or N-acetylcysteine or, or some of these natural nutrients that, that can help, that, that, uh, that can actually turn, turn up the immune system. Because they're thinking during the second phase, we don't want to turn up the immune system. We don't want to create that cytokine storm. And now we know that optimizing vitamin D during the sickest phase of phase two, where people are really at risk of intensive care need, et cetera, dramatically decreases the risk of cytokine storm in a powerful way. We can go over those studies in a bit. Okay, we'll do that in a second, but I'm just thinking, I'm thinking of myself. I just did blood work not long ago, and I have been taking vitamin D as well as using iodine, the iodine uh, kind of spray, spray. Mm -hmm. and vitamin C... Um, taking the Young Immune, which is a combination of things that you've, you've recommended. And I was looking at my lab results, and my vitamin D is like 66. That's a good level, isn't it? Yeah, so, so let, let's actually talk about a study okay. that uh, one of my idols, if you will, Dr. Michael Hollick, he, he's a very uh, enjoyable person to talk to and to listen to, really funny, uh, uh, interesting sense of humor, but he's... He's a physician and a Ph.D. researcher at, at Boston University, and he, he actually did a brilliant thing. He looked at the NHANES data. This is the U.S. government health census data okay. where they, they looked at 192,000 individuals, 
all of which had had vitamin D levels tested in the last 12 months. So we, we knew, or they knew, the actual blood levels of their vitamin D. And, and, uh, and all these individuals had also received a, a COVID-19 test. So, we, so they used that retrospective data to scientifically analyze what the, the, the relative risk was of somebody with different levels of vitamin D in their blood and actually getting infected or testing positive with COVID-19. And this was astounding. This was published recently. And they, they actually showed that if, if you had a vitamin D blood level that is defined as frankly deficient, that's really low, uh, way below an optimal level at less than 20 nanograms per deciliter, that the, the rate of positive testing, of being, being actually infected with uh, COVID-19 was 12.5% of that population. So if your vitamin D was low, under 20, 12.5% of those 192,000 individuals tested uh, uh, within that group tested positive. If, if their blood levels of vitamin D were just a little bit better, 30 to 34, which is at the very bottom of what we call the normal reference range. Normal reference range is between 30 nanograms per deciliter and 100. That's normal. And I have always said for the last 20 years, based on the research, that the upper third of that normal range is really where we want to be optimally. There's a lot of discussion about, what, uh, about where that should be, but in my 20 years of, of experience of researching this, upper third of normal. So somewhere like between 70 and 100 would seem to be so I'm optimal. Right, so I'm right at the bottom so of that. You're just under that. But, yeah. but uh, uh, fear not, because, because you're actually, based on this study, in a very good position. So... So if your level was between 30 and 34, right there at the bottom end of that reference range, just into the acceptable range, your rate of, of testing positive for COVID uh, went down to 8.1% from 12.5. So you're already dropping the risk of being infected there, based on that study, by over a third, about a third. So if, however your vitamin D blood levels were 55 nanograms per deciliter or higher, okay. which yours clearly which are, Dan, then, then your risk dropped down to 5.9% of the time those people tested positive. So now that's a retrospective association study. That does not prove cause and effect, but it is a clear indication of, of, of stating to the medical community, hey, pay attention to this especially with the hundreds of studies that have been done previous to COVID-19 showing how beneficial vitamin D is to lower the risk of getting the common cold, of getting the flu, of getting all kinds of illnesses. So, so, so that, that was the first study that should give you that gives me uh, courage. You know, courage that you, know, you, you are in a much better position than literally about 90% of the public. Now let's talk about vitamin D in one other aspect of Jenberg. What if I have been tested? Let's say somebody's watching this. They've been tested and they're positive. And they're in the middle of that first phase, which we talked about a moment ago, where, they're, where the virus is still replicating and going, but they haven't got to the inflammatory phase yet. What would vitamin D do for that person at that moment? Okay, so it's, it's important to understand that the first phase, the biggest the biggest chunk of that first phase 
is where you're either asymptomatic or presymptomatic. Asymptomatic means that you're never going to get the symptoms, right? Yeah. You just don't have, you have the virus, but you don't have the symptoms. And, and we know that about 80% of people who get infected with COVID-19 uh, will, will be pretty much asymptomatic or maybe minimally presymptomatic. In other words, they, they don't have any symptoms for the first average of five days, but then they might yeah. have mild symptoms. Sure. Right? Uh, uh, it, where, you know, there's not even a consideration of, of that individual required to hospital. So four out of okay? five people. It's basically like a cold or a, a, a mild to moderate flu, and then it's over. Okay? So, so, so literally four out of five, 80%, no matter, no, right now, no matter what they're doing, they're already pretty much no big deal. Yeah. Okay. So, so what we want to do, and this is something that uh, Dr. Roger Schwelt in his MedCram series yes. has been championing from the very beginning, actually, that what if we can, so that 20% of, of individuals that get COVID, that get sick enough to require hospital care, what if we could do something during that initial phase, okay, pr- prior to having severe symptoms requiring hospitalization, that that would would increase it from 80 to 85 percent, 90 maybe 95 percent. So only five percent actually need the hospital. That would decrease the need for hospitalization by 75 percent, wow. solving the hospital crisis. That would solving be solving it. That would be incredible. Okay, now I personally wow. believe, Dan, that that's very possible to do. I personally believe that. If everybody started taking advantage of these very simple strategies that are available to everybody, okay, that 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 cutting down hospitalization rates by over seventy five percent is very obtainable because hardly anybody is doing these things that we're talking about. Yeah. We know that at 83 percent of individuals in the hospital. That uh, with 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 COVID with severe severe symptoms have very low vitamin D levels. Why don't we solve that right away? That's why here at our church, here at yes. Fallbrook SDA Church, in the last two weeks, we've actually been handing out three right. bottles of liquid vitamin D three and a handout, a, a single full page yep. handout that says, "Hey, this is this. These are the statistics. These are what the current studies are showing." And this is what you can do at all levels, right? Yes, that's if, right. If, if you've been exposed, what do you do? If, if you know you're infected and you have COVID, of course, um, they'll, it, it, if you got exposed and you got tested and you got and you tested positive before any symptoms, that would be ideal, right? Yeah. So you're you're starting to do something right away. So that's why why do we wait to try to improve our immune system until we're like coughing and hacking and, and feeling miserable? Right. Let's not wait for that. So, so let's just say that somebody hasn't been paying attention, even though vitamin D has been all over the news. Right. It's been everywhere because of these studies. For the last 20 years, it's been all over. And especially in the last six months. Yes. Okay. But let's say that your vitamin D level, and you have no idea what it is. Okay. You haven't tested it, but you assume it might be low because you haven't been outside in the hey, sun. If, if you're not taking vitamin D as a supplement. It's low. It's going to be low uh, at least 95% of the time. Okay, so... I know this because I've been checking every single patient that I see for the last 20 years. Every child, teenager, adult, elderly, everybody gets tested for vitamin D. By the way, if you go to your doctor and your doctor says, you know, I don't think your insurance is going to cover it, 
then say, well, do you have a way for me to get a discounted rate to get this tested at LabCorp request? And if they don't, okay, then go online and you can get a blood spot test. They can uh, just, just figure out where you can get a home-based vitamin D testing okay. kit where you just do a little finger stick like diabetics do all the time. It's no big deal. You, you put a drop of blood on this little... Uh, on this on this little kit, and you mail it in, and, and within a week or two, you'll know your vitamin D level, and it's just as accurate as, as getting your your blood done. And that's usually under $60. Don't risk a, a deadly disease because you want to save $60. Absolutely. Get yourself tested. That way, you're not going to be kidding yourself of, ah, you know, I get... I get plenty of sunlight, Dan. Yeah. You know, I go, I go surfing almost every Friday. I get a lot of sunlight. But if I didn't take vitamin D, I guarantee you my level would be low. It's, it's, it's really, you can't rely on sunshine to optimize your vitamin D. I know this, Dan, because I used to work in Guam, near the equator, and I'd go walking in my bathing suit in the afternoon three or four times a week for an hour or two. And my vitamin D was low then. And that was 20 years ago when I, when I could make more vitamin D. The older we are, the less likely you are to make vitamin D because, well, there's a lot of reasons for it. So in other words, don't, don't listen to people who say, well, if you're just out in the sun uh, you know, 15 minutes, three times a week, you should make all the vitamin D you could. Even if you're making it, you're not necessarily optimizing your blood vitamin D levels. And how do you know? Test it. To prove it to yourself that you need to supplement appropriately. So, I'm thinking of several different ways to approach the vitamin D question, Dr. Youngberg. One, you ought to do like we've done, and I've done since I have known you for the last 10 or 12 years. We have been supplementing, Karen and I have in our family, and our vitamin D levels are up. Hers was even higher than mine. We've been carefully doing that. But let's say somebody hasn't done that. And they are now saying, hey, I really need to get this. How long does it take once you start taking a dose of vitamin D to get it to a level? And, and I guess, so I, that two parts of the question. One, how long does it take? And then if I just found out I've got it, if I start taking it right now, will it help me? Uh, it, it helps every, in every scenario. So okay. we know that there's studies showing that uh, taking vitamin D lowers your risk of getting infected in the first place. About... It, it literally, it, it, uh, if you have a low level of vitamin D, you're about double risk of getting infected. Okay? Well, that's a good uh, reason to take it right there. 77% increase, different studies show different things. If, if you have a, um, if, you, if you're infected and your vitamin D level is low, you're at much higher risk of actually uh, requiring hospitalization. If you are hospitalized and you have a low vitamin D level, you have a much higher risk of requiring intensive care, critical care, support, which means now you're really serious. Okay, and and if um, and if you are in critical care and your vitamin D levels are low and then you're not being supplemented appropriately, you're at much higher risk of dying from that event. So we have we have the data. I have the studies right in front of me to support that. And, and so 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 here's the first step, Dan. Okay, is that is that is to not wait until you get sick. Now, so everybody should have a, a plan, a strategy to start building up the stores of vitamin D right now. Okay, and uh, doctor, I had the privilege about 15 years ago 
uh, Dr. Eric Madrid, who's a family physician here in, in Temecula and Menifee, California, he was writing a book on vitamin D. I remember that. And, uh, and so we, we were collaborating on this, and so we went to the very first international conference on using vitamin D in a medical practice. It was right here in San Diego, California, and the famous uh, Dr. Michael Hollick, who did the study in Boston, he was mm-hmm. there speaking, um, uh, and Dr. Robert Heaney, who is the, uh, the professor of medicine at Creighton University in Omaha, Nebraska, uh, who's lit, sat on the, on the FDA Board of Nutrition, the only vitamin D researcher on the board, and they, the board would never approve his recommendations, even though he's, he was literally one of the top three experts in the world. Okay, so there's, there's kind of a backlash, uh, kind of fighting vitamin D use for some odd reason. For a number of years. For, for, for ever since the beginning, and, and it's like, well, I won't go into that. And now it's changing a little bit. It's starting to change. Well, that's because other countries are doing research on this and publishing it. And and the U.S. is going like, oh, I guess we better kind of get on board here, right? So the the bottom line here is he's saying every child across the United States, really the world, should be using 2,000 units of vitamin D a day. Now, that's far more than what the government committees suggest. I, I I will grant you that. But... But you got to remember that committees, they have, they, you know, committees are political, okay? And committees make decisions based on looking at all different angles of this. And so what you end up getting from committees oftentimes is mediocrity. You, everything is kind of minimized. And so you end up getting a recommendation that is not as strong as it should be. Well, it's the I mean, lowest common denominator. Yeah, it's pretty much the lowest common denominator. So, so... What, what I've done in, in, my, in my work, in, in my lifestyle medicine practice over the last 30 years, I will study what the committee said, but then I'll go to the top researchers. And if I can, at conferences, I'll go talk to them. Sure. And I'll ask them, what do, you, what do you believe based on your 50 years of experience researching this? What do you do? And that is much more valuable than some... You know, some some rubber stamp committee that that has many other things to consider besides what is best for you and I. Okay, so kids, two thousand. Adults, four thousand. Okay. Okay. Now, I I personally take ten thousand. Doctor Fauci takes six thousand. That's been that's been uh, uh, published by a researcher. I mean, an interviewer that asked him flat out, and he 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 uh, was honest about what he was doing. I just wish that he was. In that he was just preaching this as a sure. vitamin D evangelist because it, you know, if it's good for him, yes, yeah, good for everybody. everybody. Should be doing it, right? I mean, you know, isn't he the Norman Rockwell of, 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 of COVID research, right? And so, so anyway, so so I, I take ten thousand a day because I've found that that's what I I do best with when I test my vitamin D over and over again uh, every every six months or so, and and so. So that, for my patients, you know, which typically I'm dealing with patients who have mm-hmm. underlying medical conditions, diabetes, hypertension, heart disease, uh, obesity, uh, on and on. These are, these are situations that dramatically increase risk, okay? And as we get older and are more prone to these things because of a longer period of time of being exposed to the things that cause it, sure. right? It's not really an age issue per se. Our innate immune system gets weaker. 
And it's the innate immune system that needs to be woken up, that needs to be uh, brought up up to uh, activity again, that during that, that initial five to seven days of the infection, it's not working. It's not acting like nothing's wrong. It's not trying to fight the virus. Because well, the virus has this, this interesting ability to kind of lull our immune system to sleep. And, sure. and so that's why we need to be doing the healthy behaviors during that phase. A lot of us don't even know we're in that phase. And so that's why we need to be living healthfully, not eating sugar, uh, you know, doing the hot cold showers once a day to stimulate the immune system. And vitamin D is one of those things, Dan. Vitamin D activates the innate immune system, and it actually blocks the, the, the it inhibits, to a point, the virus from infecting the cell. Okay. So, all right. So you're taking 10,000. I think I'm taking about 10,000. Other people may be taking Dr. Fauci 6,000, kids 2,000. There are certain situations where I know you have said that even a more massive dose would be appropriate, and I have two questions. Can you get too much vitamin D? And number two, if you're in a crisis situation, like you're starting to have the cytokine storm, is vitamin D going to help? And what kind of uh, dosage would it be? And I'm, of course, looking at the University of Cordoba study. Yeah, right here. absolutely. So really my favorite study to date on the question of is vitamin D beneficial is, is a, a study that from University of Cordoba in Spain and they, they did a randomized blinded study, double blinded, they call it double mass study, which means the researchers don't even know who's getting the vitamin D, and, and the doctors who are treating these people don't know who's getting the vitamin D and who's getting the placebo. Okay, And so they, they had 75 individuals who were admitted to the hospital in Cordova because they were so sick with COVID they needed to be hospitalized. Now, Everybody who got admitted got the standard of care. They got, you know, all the bells and whistles, whatever was appropriate and accepted at that point in time, and this would have been in, in June, July, August, they, they got it. The only difference was is that the, the treatment group got a bolus of vitamin D that was the equivalent to 65,000 units of vitamin D. They actually gave a, a metabolite of vitamin D called calcifidyl, which, which doesn't have to be activated by the liver. So it gives you about a, you know, a 12 to 24-hour uh, uh, wow. advantage. Okay. okay. Now, the reality is you don't need that. If you have the metabolite then at the hospital, then, then use it. Sure. Okay? But really, just taking vitamin D is going to do almost as, as well. Uh, and, and so it was roughly about a 65,000-unit equivalent. All at once. On day one. Okay. Yeah, on a bolus. Okay. Now, I've, been, I've actually been doing this for the first symptom of a cold or flu for the last 20 years. Okay. Now, in fact, there's published uh, uh, editorials of the top experts on vitamin D around the world getting together, and they said at the first sign of a cold or a flu, and we could now say COVID, yep. uh, that you can take uh, up to 1,000 units of vitamin D per pound body weight per day for three days. Now, now okay. you do the math. It, it actually it was two thousand per kilogram. So I, I'm just yeah. kind of making it easier for, sure. for us Americans that aren't used to that. Yeah, that's right. Okay. And so, so roughly a thousand per pound body weight per day. So let's say you know I, I weigh one seventy five. So I could theoretically take a, a hundred and seventy five thousand units of vitamin D once a day for three days, 
to, to treat a, a building more serious infection so that, kicking, that I'm feeling. It's kickstarting. Let me qualify this, because even though that was the recommendation in the initial report, my experience is you don't need that much. Okay. Okay? My experience is that if you do 50,000, which would be roughly like a dropper full of the vitamin D liquid, if it's 2,000 per drop, 25 drops would be 50,000. Sure. So I, I could tell you experience after experience. You know, I, I, real quick, I'll tell one. My, okay. my mother, who was who was in her uh, early 80s at the time, uh, we had traveled to Geneva, Switzerland, to participate and speak at a, at a, at a worldwide uh, international health conference for the Seventh-day Adventist Church. It was the very first one, and it was being held at Geneva because that's where the World Health Organization yep. is, and we were collaborating with them. And I was doing a talk on diabetes. And, and I remember we, that. We, we, it took us two days to get to there because... Delays of planes, and so we were horribly sleep deprived by the time we got to our hotel room in Geneva. And my mother, bless her heart, she's a hard worker, and uh, and she she said to me that night, says I feel like the worst flu I've ever had is coming on, and when I feel this way, I am down and out for a week to ten days. And we were just at the beginning of a two week tour of Europe, where we're going to be speaking at different places al along with that conference. And so we're going like, this can't happen. You know, we're, we, we put all our time and effort into this tour that we were going to take, speaking at churches and other organizations. So so I happened, well, it didn't just happen. You I, I it learned out my lesson. <laughs> okay. I, I had a bottle of liquid vitamin D on my carry-on, actually. Um, and, and I said, Mom, I'm going to give you a dropper for I'm going to give you 50,000 units of vitamin D. And she didn't argue with me a bit. You know, she's a pretty stubborn lady. You know, she has her own mind. But she was feeling it. And she said, okay, I'm going to, I know you're just my son, but I'm going to let you play doctor today. Okay? <laughs> and so she, I, I just had her open her mouth and I gave her 50,000 units of vitamin D. The next morning. We wake up and we're thinking, oh, man, how many times am I going to have to do this with the hope of, the, of her getting over this in three to four days? She was fine. Now, I know that that's a... a One day. That's an anecdote, wow. right? That's not a study. But I expected something good to happen. Why? Because I read the research. Because I've practiced this now for 20 years. And, and it's one of the most powerful things I've ever seen. If you catch it early, like day one of symptoms, most of the time it's gone. It's gone within a, within a day. So the pure logic says yeah. that for COVID, it's going to also be very helpful. Very, very helpful. And so we, we know that, and we know the biologic mechanism. It's all worked out. Yeah. So when you take vitamin D, it actually unlocks. This is Dr. Robert Heaney okay. saying. It unlocks the, the, the genetic information in the nucleus of the cell that has access to how to make a chemotherapeutic agent against that very virus that you just got exposed to. Wow. So the white blood cells basically present that virus, uh, and this, 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 there's this vitamin D receptor that gets activated, okay. and vitamin D then stimulates the production of, a, of the most specific chemotherapeutic agent you could ever make in a laboratory that is designed to fight that virus or that cancer or that bacteria and 
and we call it catholicidin. Catholicidin is the antimicrobial peptide that is used by the white blood cells to literally kill the virus. Okay, And we know that this is working based on this University of Cordoba study. So they gave this yeah. bolus of vitamin D okay, on day one, then again on day three, half of that dose, and again at day seven, and then weekly as necessary. The, the results were just astounding and should be all that is needed for the public health community, like our community church here, decide we're going to give this to every single family. I think we passed out over 80 bottles of vitamin D already, free. And really, every organization, in my opinion, should be doing this. And it's not that Pass big it out expense. free. It's not that expensive. Okay? And, and, uh, and, and pass out a handout on how to use it. Okay? And, uh, and so what, what they found in this study is that the risk of those hospitalized patients of going on to require intensive care unit support, critical care support, in the, in the group that got the, 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 the dummy, the placebo, the, the vitamin D pill had no vitamin D in it, okay, they went on to intensive care 50%. 50% of them now got worse so bad that they needed ventilator, ventilator support or some other type of critical care support. Um, of those, almost 8% died. And those who got the vitamin D, only 2% required intensive care. I mean, that's a 25-fold differential. In other words, and you're how many 25 times more likely to require intensive care if you don't get vitamin D on that first day of hospitalization. I, ju I just received an email that's today. Of somebody says, my husband just got hospitalized. Can you send a note to the hospital to make sure they keep giving him vitamin D? You know, and I'm thinking, why should I have to send a note? They should know this already. Well, the What's the downside? There's absolutely no downside. So, and here's the, here's the okay. last part of the study. Okay. Man. You know what the risk was of death in the group that got the vitamin D? That's what, that's what I wanted to get to. Zero. 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 Okay. Now, this was a randomized clinical study that was double-blinded which is the, the pinnacle of research. And, and so if we're, if we're not paying attention to that, then we got a problem. Well, I can only imagine that anybody watching this right now is saying, where can I get vitamin D? And vitamin Anywhere. D is on any pharmacy, <laughs> any, any right. health food store. You can get this in I was talking forms. to a patient, very wealthy patient in Florida just a few days ago who said, I, I tested positive for COVID. What do I do? And, uh, and so I said, well, you know my protocol. She says, yeah, yeah, but I just, I just flew into Florida and I don't have anything. I go, well, okay, you need to make sure you take your stuff with you. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but, but she knew enough. She said, oh, I, you know, I can, I can go online and order it at, at CVS Pharmacy and they'll deliver it within a couple hours. You don't even have to leave your home to get vitamin D. Just, just, just order it online. Right? I mean, wow. this is... This is not brain science. Now that was right? cvs.com. Well, you know, any, that's what she did. And or I, any, any pharmacy. Really, any pharmacy that delivers, you know, and, uh, okay. and a lot of places are delivering now, right? And you can, you can call somebody else to go get it, too. Now, last question on this topic, because our time is going to get away from us. Can you get too much vitamin D? In the All right, so, yeah, <laughs> of course you can get too much vitamin D, but you're more likely to get too much water than vitamin D. 
So I actually wrote about this in my book, Hello Healthy. There's an interesting study, actually a case study, of a, of a gentleman who ended up at the ER. This is years ago. And he was feeling horrible. I mean, he was getting all stiff and uh, rigid and it, it just had very fatigued. And the ER doctor was doing test after test after test. Couldn't figure out what yeah. it was. And so finally, you know, I got this supercomputer thing where you put in all the symptoms and yep. then they give you a long list of things that you should check for. And way down on that list was vitamin D intoxication. So he said, hey, you know, I, I, I'm running out of options here. Try so it. the doctor checked his vitamin D level. And, you know, I just said we don't want low levels under 20. We want really optimal levels above 55, uh, but, but not above 100, right? Okay. okay. Now, Makes we sense. know from Dr. Robert Heaney's studies that you don't really get toxic until you're above 200, above 250. You have to be taking at least 40,000 units a day for many months to even get into that range. And the treatment is, well, just stop doing that because you don't need that much. There's never been one person who died from it that I'm aware of, never in the medical literature. All kinds of people die from drinking too much water. Yeah. Nobody's ever died from taking too much vitamin D. So okay? it makes really Do good sense. Do not fear vitamin D. So this guy in the, in the case study, the doctor found out that his vitamin D level was over 700. Oh. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's horrible. Any, in, anything taken to that extreme is going to be bad. Uh, if it had been water, he would have died, right? So okay. use common sense. Yeah, and so you know how much vitamin D was taking for almost a year? A million two hundred thousand units every day. Oh my goodness! Because he was using a a, a a vitamin formula that had been basically mixed up in somebody's garage and sold cheaply. Don't get stuff unless it's being produced by reputable companies, so you know exactly what you're getting in it. So let, let me just read something real quick. There's a, okay. a study in Ireland, Dan. Okay. That that was produced that that was uh, done by Dr. Daniel McCartney. And, and they basically were recognizing that they needed to protect the vulnerable. They okay. recognized that the people at greatest risk for COVID-19 uh, uh, you know, sickness, hospitalization, and death were the elderly because they're more likely to be sick with underlying sure. conditions. Okay? And, of course, diabetics, uh, in, in the individuals who uh, are, are sickly for any reason, hypertension, heart disease, kidney failure, etc. And and so they said we should be taking care of these people and addressing their vitamin D insufficiency, which is over really probably 90% of those, or at least 80% of those, are going to be extremely low on vitamin D. And so here's their final okay. conclusion. They recognize that vitamin D decreased infectivity, the adhesion of the virus to the, uh, the, the, the cells to cause replication, and here, here's, I'm just going to read their conclusion. Okay. He says, vitamin D deficiency is common and may contribute to increased risk of respiratory infection, including COVID-19. We recommend that all older adults, hospitalized patients, nursing home residents, okay, and other vulnerable groups, those with diabetes or compromised immune function, those with darker skin, so ethnicity plays in, the darker our skin, the more protection we have from ultraviolet ray, therefore we get less vitamin D during the summer months. So you're going to have a much lower vitamin D blood level than people who don't have darker skin. Especially if you, if you grew up in, if you were born and you grew up in Ethiopia, 
okay? And then you end up working in the UK where their sun doesn't shine hardly at all, you're really at risk now. And the answer is supplement vitamin D, which we all need to do anyways. So this is probably the very reason why we have seen that people of ethnic dark skin background yeah. have a higher rate of COVID and COVID death. Yeah, the, the disproportionate risk is, is primarily biological and it relates to your ability to store vitamin D during the summer months. And so let's fix that. Let's fix that. It's, it's a simple so, fix. So 82% of blacks have serious vitamin D deficiency, 70% of Hispanics, and about half of white. We're all at risk, right? Some more than others. We should all fix this right now. I'm, again, I'm fixing this. I'm then doing that for myself, for my family members, my kids, everybody. We, we, when we call them every week, are you taking your vitamin D? Yeah. We need to check on this. So he, let me read the rest of this. So um, uh, those who are obese, smokers, healthcare workers, they should be urgently supplemented with vitamin D to enhance their resistance to COVID-19. And this, this advice be quickly extended to the general population also. Brilliant. Why, why does it take somebody in Ireland to state the obvious? Yes. Why is it that we don't have more institutions that are handling this out? And, you know, I'm part of the problem. You know, I've been, I've been concerned about this for a long time, but I didn't actually come out with a solution for it other than telling my patients, it says we need to be community activists. Yes. We need to get on the phone and tell people, get on your vitamin D, share this information with them. And so that's why as a church, we that's decided right. to give it to everybody. And so be, be part of the solution. And that's get why, this out that's why we're doing this. One of the things that will come out of this is that now maybe you will watch this. Maybe you will share it with someone else. And all of a sudden, everybody's going to be saying, hey, I've heard a little bit about this. Now I know specifically. So just review. Kids... How many milligrams of vitamin D? Well, we, we're going with international units. That, I'm sorry, two thousand units. And adults. So, so an adults at least four thousand units. But you asked a question earlier, Dan, that we didn't okay. get to. All right. That is, how long does it take? Yes, that's right. You just started that dose for that to actually build up in your blood to get to an optimal level. And, and unfortunately, the answer is it could be three, four months. Okay. So, in other words, if you're, if we're now in that this this skyrocketing wave of infection and hospitalizations as well. It's true, it is. And so, and so it would make sense to up that higher. Okay, If you haven't been supplementing at all, you should probably be doing at least 10,000 units a day. Uh, and you know, don't wait two months to figure out how you can get tested through your insurance. Those two months may be the last two months of your life. For 60 bucks. Okay, right, so 60 bucks. Let's, let's get it done, right? And and right now, I would say, you know, even if you don't get tested, assume you're low, and for the rest of the winter, get get at least four thousand up to ten thousand daily. That's not going to be too much. There's, that's never been shown to be toxic. Okay, and so so you basically that this is one of the. There's many other things that we should be paying attention to. Okay, we're going to be and we're going we're to going that. be having more talks we about are. this. But I wanted to make sure. That we get this message out that, that you know, there's some things that are so simple that, that if we look back, I, I, I recently uh, uh, I've got a phone call from a, a, actually a president of a large healthcare system. And he says, you know, I, 
uh, I was just talking to a relative and found out that you stayed with them when you were speaking at a church in, in the Midwest about seven years ago. I says, yeah, I remember that. A lovely couple. He says, well, I got bad news. He says, this couple, they were traveling through uh, uh, Colorado recently. Both of them got infected with COVID. And um, the wife survived, but the husband died. The wife had been more healthy, had been paid more attention to her diet mm -hmm. and so forth. Uh, the husband, not so much, and succumbed. Okay? 100% preventable. Sure. 100% preventable. And I, you know what? I didn't, the first thing I thought is, I wish I had been notified immediately upon the first symptom or the first indication that they were positive, and maybe I could have made Encouraged a difference them. for that family. Right? And so, but, it, you know, well, this maybe, is something that each of you can be ambassadors that's about. Right. It doesn't take a doctor to figure this out. It's a simple, simple thing to do. Okay, um, there are many other things in the immune system. We've got about 10, 10 or 12 minutes left today. And, and I, I want to just say to you uh, that we're going to be doing this again in two weeks on December the 2nd at 7 p.m. Pacific time. We're going to be doing a live stream right here from the same spot. So mark that on your calendars. We'll be starting to talk about more of these elements. But in the time we have left, I'm thinking of, of people that are little children and older. You know, we kind of jumped over that point a minute ago. Little kids don't seem to be affected by COVID that much. Young adults under 30 don't seem to have near as... But the older you get, the more... You know, 60, 60 seems to be a year that's kind of a dividing line. Why is that? So, the, what's interesting about this virus in particular, it's not at all like the, the flu that gets kids, right, pretty bad, and the elderly as well. But this one doesn't really impact kids hardly at all. Okay, I mean it's just it's just very very rare. They would have to have some serious complication. Um, even even somebody in their late twenties, very rare for them to die. Just this week, I read a study, uh, uh, an article actually about a young couple in their late twenties yeah. uh, that um, that had a, a, a beautiful little four year old boy. This, the father got sick with COVID, died. Okay, and the mother then two months later got sick with COVID and she died. And now their little boy, who's going to turn five years old next month, has no mom, no dad. Uh. Again, that, that's really sad to hear because, first of all, it's extremely rare for somebody that young to die from COVID. But it, I saw pictures of them and they were significantly obese. Mm. Obesity is a big, big driver of of infectivity and and getting sick er, earlier, getting more sick, ending up in the hospital, and potentially dying. Why is that? One big reason is we've known this for decades now, that when you carry excess fat weight, that, those fat cells full of fat, they suck up vitamin D from your blood and render it useless for your immune system. Stored. Okay. They basically store it. And once it's stored, it's never going to help you. It's, it's gone. Uh, and, so, and so that's one reason that obese individuals or overweight individuals are much more likely to be deficient in vitamin D, even if they're getting more vitamin D than the average person. And so that's why you don't just rely on, oh, I'm taking 2,000 units of vitamin D, which is, which is kind of a, a high recommended dose, high, 
recommended dose in many medical circles. And yet, that's really not going to fix the problem for somebody who's obese yeah. or diabetic or hypertensive or heart disease. So that's why we want to check, but we want to, we want to up that for adults to at least 4,000. So they have a fighting chance to have reasonable vitamin D blood levels. So is the vitamin D the key factor difference between the 60-year-old and the 25-year-old? Well, again, we've been focusing tonight on vitamin D because we just want to hit this home. We want to, once and for all, make sure that people recognize this is really critical. It's a simple thing. There's many other things that are that are important as well. And and uh, I don't want to suggest that vitamin D is the, the cure-all and the panacea. It's not. Uh, but it's, it's, a, it's a big piece of immune optimization, and we want to make sure we're sleeping well. We make sure, sure that we're avoiding sugar, that we're eating well, that we're we got the right attitude, that we're not, you know, the, the fear factor isn't destroying our health. If you're constantly afraid, oh, I'm gonna, I don't want to go near that person because they might have COVID. That feeling, that that sense of 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 of, um, of fear actually depresses your immune system. So it's just like a self-fulfilling prophecy. So, uh, so they, you know, there's many things that we should be paying attention. That's why we're going to do this again in a yes, couple we weeks. Are. And, and you know, I've been busy. Uh, this is the, I think this is the fifth webinar I've done this week yeah. for different organizations. And so I said, if I'm doing it for them. I should at least do it for, do it for my the own church. church. Absolutely. Right? <laughs> and uh, we're delighted that we can do that. And I, in just a few minutes, we have left tonight. Uh, I just want to highlight again that December the second, 7 p.m. Pacific time. We're going to be streaming this again. You can you can find it exactly where you saw this one uh, whenever you see it. But we're going to be talking about the other factors of immune uh, building. Uh, and, I, and I think we don't want to leave people thinking that vitamin D is the only immune it's not. builder. There's a lot there's of things. There's vitamin C. There's NAC. There's quercetin. There's all, all these multitude of supplemental things that you get in food or we get supplemented with. Healthy attitude. Proper diet, sleep, as you said, those are all very important parts of the You know, there's a protocol that I actually wrote up back in, in April and updated in May that's still on my website. It's 18 pages of information that doesn't have the latest studies in it that we reviewed today, but it's still giving the same recommendations, right? How to do hydrotherapy, and that's on my website, dryoungberg.com. Yes. And uh, you just, just, you'll see the, the second blog on the homepage in the lower left-hand corner, a whole 18-page blog on how to how to optimize your immune system in the face of a respiratory illness. Excellent. So you want to download that, and we're going to try to get some of this additional information we've been talking about tonight up on that website again, so you'll be able to download that. So download that. So be sure and go back and visit on a regular basis. And I just uh, want to thank you, uh, Dr. Janberg, for being willing to do this for our Fallbrook Church and for all the friends of the Fallbrook Church all over the world that'll be watching this. And I'm confident that people that make common sense, sound decisions based on good research, science, and experience are going to be benefited dramatically in their physical well-being. And I can't help but think, one of your favorite uh, things that I've heard you say in the past is, you are the chairman of the board of your own health. And that is appropriate in this situation. People need to take control of their own decisions get all the best information they can, but they're the ones responsible. And if, I'm the one And if individuals do that, then like Dr. Roger Schwell, you know, the critical care COVID specialist who's 
done probably more on this topic than any other doctor in the world, literally, he has over 50 million hits on his website. Uh, he, he has been championing this concept. Let us start taking control and doing things at home within our own families, every family, uh, such that we can change that 80-20 rule instead of just 80% of people surviving and, and doing pretty well with an infection. Uh, we can change that to 85, 90, 95%. And so now the hospitals will not be overrun. Uh, they can treat everybody else that has health concerns as well. Yes. Because we are, we are uh, res responsibly taking advantage of this information now rather than when it's too late. That's right. And so we'll be bringing a lot more information to you in our next uh, broadcast. But I just want, we're in a church. And you may or may not be a part of a, of a faith community, but uh, I would like to close this with prayer, Dr. Youngberg, just praying for anybody Absolutely. who might be watching this. And then I want to make sure you're tuning in in a couple of weeks. So if you just bow your heads with me right now as we pray. Lord, I just pray that the information that has been shared this evening, out of the heart and, and experience and research that Dr. Youngberg has been doing and is out of the regular clinical practice as he sees the action, I pray that somebody's, I'm using plural, will hear this and say, I can make those little simple changes. I can do that and have it be a very positive experience in their own personal lives and their families. Thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Again, I'm Dan Houghton, Dr. Wes Youngberg here at Fallbrook Seventh-day Adventist Church, and we'll be seeing you again in two weeks. God bless you. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.